0: Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 417 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. This episode is called much micro, so soft. It is June 30, 2023, and this is Jen. I'm going to start off once again with the ongoing FTC thing that's happening. Gizmodo's got an article titled, Hearing Over Microsoft's Takeover of Activision Blizzard Begins with Bigwigs Set to Testify. This was written by Lauren Leffer on June 22, and I'll read you just a little bit of this. It, of course, starts talking about how big the merger is going to be and this sort of thing that I've talked about a bunch before. I'll just start from the top here. Microsoft's $68.7 billion bid to acquire video game maker Activision Blizzard has arrived in court. An evidentiary hearing that pits both tech giants against the Federal Trade Commission began at 8.30 a.m. Pacific, 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Thursday morning. Big money and an industry-wide restructuring are at stake over the corporate merger, which has stoked pushback globally. In the first few hours of the proceedings, a minor bombshell has already dropped, an unsealed email that could undermine the arguments of the merger's main opponent, Sony. The United Kingdom's competition and markets authority already rejected the deal in April, saying it would leave gamers with fewer options on the market. In contrast, the European Commission greenlit the buyout following a probe, though under the condition that Microsoft doesn't keep Activision games from its competitors. Now in San Francisco Federal Court, Microsoft is working to convince Judge Jacqueline Scott Corley that its massive, nearly $70 billion purchase of the company behind Call of Duty, Overwatch, and World of Warcraft should be allowed to move forward. Over five days of proceedings, scheduled to conclude on June 29, which means they're done, because today's the 30th, both Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick and Microsoft CEO Sata Nadella are expected to testify. Meanwhile, the FTC is arguing that the proposed acquisition needs to be put on pause while regulators assess if the deal violates U.S. antitrust law. The hearing precedes a trial set for August, so there's another one coming. Uh, Judge Corley's ruling following the hearing will determine whether or not to grant the FTC's request to stall the merger until after that in-depth administrative trial. If Corley opts not to hold up the deal, it could be closed ahead of a July 18 deadline. If she decides the FTC's preliminary injunction demand has legal merit, Microsoft might end up having to pay $3 billion in breakup fees to Activision Blizzard. Opponents of the merger, primarily Sony, argue that it's anti-competitive and would give Microsoft, which owns Xbox, an unfair advantage by granting it ownership over some of the most popular video game titles on the market. Meanwhile, proponents, namely Microsoft and Activision Blizzard, say the companies in opposition are doing so to defend their own profits and industry dominance. It goes on from there. Everything I talk about in the show will be in the show notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com, so if you missed something or you want to read the whole article, you can find it there IGN has of course another article about the FTC thing this one's titled Xbox FTC Trial Day 4 Bobby Kotick And Jim Ryan agree on one thing, neither of them like Game Pass. This was written by Rebecca Valentine on July 29, and here's a little bit from that article. Another busy court day in the books with the FTC versus Microsoft trial set to conclude tomorrow. It was a surprisingly quiet day compared to some of the previous ones, with Microsoft head Satya Nadella giving relatively mild testimony, Activision CEO Bobby Kotick, calmly parrying his FTC inquisitors and a lot more economist talk. We also got to see briefly Nadella and Judge Jacqueline Scott Corley bond over a mutual love for Candy Crush. Delightful. And then this next part is headed exclusivity for me but not for thee. Console exclusivity has been a part of how video game releases work effectively since video games came into existence. But to hear Xbox and friends tell it over the last few days, everyone in the industry just hates the idea. Figures like Microsoft head Satya Nadella and Activision CEO Bobby Kotick today made exclusivity seem less like a feature and more like a bug, ruining their ability to do business on certain platforms and reach larger markets of people. Nadella, for instance, mentioned that he had, quote, no love for exclusives, while uh, Kotick, Kotick? Kotick? Emphasized that taking Call of Duty exclusive to Xbox would be, quote, very detrimental to business. All of this is in line with Spencer's comments. Collectively, Xbox and its witnesses and lawyers appear to be making the argument that the entire idea of exclusivity is a loathsome one they play along with because Sony forced their hands. If Sony would just stop paying for exclusives like Final Fantasy XVI, I can't math that out, uh, they agree they argue Xbox wouldn't have to do deals like this it has with Activision just to compete. Here at the bottom, if the acquisition happens, someone acknowledges, let's see. One guess can be made thanks to today's testimony from Bobby Kodak, who like Ryan, seems to dislike Game Pass. When questioned, he admitted that he's not a fan of the multi-game subscription services, hence why Activision games have largely, though not entirely, failed to appear on them. He emphasized that there's no explicit internal mandate that Activision games won't show up on subscription services. He doesn't think there's a strong enough business proposition out there that would convince him to partake in one if Activision remained independent. If the acquisition happens, he acknowledges he'll be stuck with Game Pass whether he likes it or not. Quote, I don't agree with the idea of a multi game subscription service as a business proposition going forwards, but we, bracket, Activision and Microsoft, end of bracket, can agree to disagree, he said. TweakTown has an article that uh, was published on June 27, and it is titled, Sony's Jim Ryan. Kodak asked to negotiate Call of Duty to cover himself if merger fails. This is written by Derek Strickland. And here's the article. Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO Jim Ryan tells federal courts that he believes Activision CEO Bobby Kodak wanted to make a separate side deal to ensure Activision games, including Call of Duty, would continue shipping on PlayStation if the $68.7 billion merger with Microsoft fell through. In 2022, the bosses of some of the most powerful forces in gaming came together in Brussels to share their opinions of the Microsoft-Activision merger with the European Commission. Among them was PlayStation CEO Jim Ryan and Activision CEO Bobby Kodak, two men that have enjoyed a prolonged business relationship that has spiraled upward into a multi-billion dollar arrangement. In private, Ryan allegedly told Kodak, quote, I don't want a new Call of Duty deal, I just want to block your merger, end quote. Now, in today's recent evidentiary hearing in the FTC versus Microsoft federal case, Ryan clarifies on what led up to that eye-opening statement. It turned out that the Activision CEO wanted to stay behind and talk to Ryan about a potential Call of Duty deal. Ryan said this didn't concern the Call of Duty deal, the 10-year Call of Duty licensing deal that Microsoft had offered to Sony. Ryan believes Kodak wanted to make a side deal with PlayStation, and negotiate a new publisher licensing agreement, PLA, as a backup plan just in case the Microsoft merger fell apart. Activision's deal with Sony expires in 2024. So in order to ship new games on PlayStation, Activision will have to negotiate a new deal. This could be problematic, however. PlayStation does indeed depend on hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue from Activision games on an annual basis. I've asserted, the writer says, that Microsoft and Sony are likely to agree on mutu- mutually beneficial terms and iron out a PLA if the merger goes through. Given the stakes involved, this should be os- this should also be true for Activision and Sony in, in of the event the merger is not consummated. And there's like a couple of quotes and things in here as well. So there's that. That's kind of weird but that's what it is. Uh, Video Game Chronicle has an article posted on the 28th of June written by Tom Ivan titled Activision's Bobby Kotick says he may Made a bad decision not bringing Call of Duty to Switch. Here's some from that. Uh, let's see. The last games in the Blockbuster shooter series to appear on a Nintendo console were 2012's Call of Duty Black Ops 2 and 2013's Call of Duty Ghosts. They were released for Wii U, W I I U. Some of you know what that is, uh, which sold very poorly compared to its predecessor, Wii, WII, and its successor, Nintendo Switch. Kodak is giving evidence on Wednesday during Microsoft's court case against the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, which is seeking to block the Xbox maker's proposed $69 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard. He was asked whether Activision had considered bringing Call of Switch Call of Switch? <laughs> nope, that's what it says though. Probably meant Call of Duty to Switch prior to its launch in 2017. He said he had, but decided against doing so. I made a bad judgment, Kodak said. When I had seen the prototype of the Switch, it was different than when I saw the prototype of the Wii, and I thought it was the most extraordinary video game system ever created, end quote. He added, quote, when I saw the prototypes for switch i was concerned because they were trying to accomplish a lot with a console that also had a portable capability i didn't think it was going to be widely successful over after over six years on the market nintendo has sold over 125 million switch consoles a feat only bettered by its nintendo ds handheld 142.2 zero uh, two million and sony's playstation 155 million quote it's probably the second most successful video game of all time so it was a bad decision on my part Kodak said another one from ign the ftc trial unmasks xbox's ambitions opinion and analysis on how secrets are being revealed through the ftc trial written by shannon liao liao Microsoft has had a tightly crafted image for the past few decades with Xbox executives presented as jovial, calm, and unpressed about the console wars, but that mask has slipped in the trial between the US Federal Trade Commission and Microsoft as we've gotten an inside look at at how executives are thinking about strategically using the media, news announcements, and even how to market their cloud gaming products effectively to get the gamers excited. A different side of the brand has been shown through evidence uploaded this week. Microsoft gaming CEO Phil Spencer has called the console wars a quote social construct within the community, end quote, acknowledging that in reality, Xbox is solidly behind PlayStation and Nintendo and has quote remained in third place for quite a while, end quote. In emails, Matt Booty he Yep, that's his last name, showed that Xbox is in fact hungry and competitive internally. He wrote in 2019 that Microsoft could, quote, spend Sony out of business. The the uh, person writing this, Shannon Lau, says I've been interviewing Microsoft and Xbox executives since 2019 and keeping careful notes on how the company has marketed its new console, cloud gaming service, and position against Sony. I found that some of the insights that came out of the trial testimony and documents demonstrate what Microsoft was really thinking internally and contrast directly with their external marketing. At times, Microsoft confidently showed off new products while internally admitting to bigger worries, all of which highlight the way the games industry relies on a culture of secrecy, and why this trial is such an important moment to understand this industry. When reached for comment, Microsoft pointed IGN to past testimonies and discussions and declined to provide a new statement. So here's something about the deals the deals behind closed doors. Throughout the trial, we've gotten more insight into companies Xbox considered buying so that it can compete against Sony and Nintendo. The long list includes Sega, Warner Brothers, Nexon, Supergiant Games, Niantic, Zynga, Bungie, and even Final Fantasy publisher Square Enix, according to internal documents. Interestingly enough, in 2020, Bloomberg reported that Microsoft was thinking of acquiring Japanese studios. At the time, Microsoft Gaming CEO Phil Spencer denied the report in an interview with GameSpot, calling the report inaccurate and saying, I mean, I'm not in every meeting that every team has, but I'll say not from me. In November 2020, just a few days after the GameSpot interview, Microsoft showed its willingness to pursue Japanese companies and Sega in particular. Spencer emailed executives in November 2020, including Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, quote, We believe that Sega has a has built a well-balanced portfolio of games across segments with global geographic appeal and will help us accelerate Xbox Game Pass both on and off console, end quote. You could argue that on a technicality, Spencer is saying he hadn't reached out to Japanese studios yet was true. Since he started running the Sega request up the food chain a few days later, these internal documents prove that the Bloomberg report from 2020 was indeed accurate. I'm reminded of instances like Bungie, says this writer, vehemently denying reporting that Microsoft wanted to acquire it only for it to come out in documents that this was true and while not a one-to-one comparison, the Bobby Kotick interview with Variety in May where he said the company never had any systemic issue with harassment and that these were, quote, mischaracterized reported in the media. He blamed the issues instead on employees' union efforts. um, And... This writer talks about that they uh, they've reported about these systemic issues and things like that. And Blizzard dodged reporters follow ups, asking questions about Codex comments, Uh, continuing on, skipping ahead a bit, putting on a brave face. The trial also peeks behind the veil of marketing and PR that companies like Xbox utilize to drum up anticipation for products they're unsure of. In 2019, I walked the show floor of the last physical E3. The game conference had been snubbed by Sony that year, but Xbox was front and center, showing off its upcoming console and its cloud gaming service Project X Cloud, on a sleek black stage backlit in green. A few months later, xCloud Vice President Kareem Chowdhury told me over a 45-minute video interview for CNN, quote, we often have conversations about i'll say the 16 year old in mumbai who had heard of halo but probably doesn't have the ability to play it today that's where we think streaming presents a real opportunity end quote the first adopters of project X Cloud are likely to be hardcore halo players spencer uh, hypothesized and if they didn't care then it was unlikely anyone else would quote if we can get them to love it they will evangelize he wrote comparing the service to fortnite Quote, If I ask mobile gamers what they want, they won't tell me that it's to play Halo on their phone with a Bluetooth connection to an Xbox controller. That's probably as far from what they want to do on their phone as anything, Spencer wrote. He noted that Halo didn't even have the right business model to appeal to these mobile gamers. They want free-to-play games. Last October, Xbox willingly called cloud gaming an immature and nascent technology when the United Kingdom raised concerns over how owning Activision Blizzard could give Xbox an unfair market advantage against competitors like sony and nvidia the uk regulator didn't buy this argument and still blocked the deal citing microsoft's massive market share in cloud computing through its service azure the console wars are waged in secret and uh, the other part of xbox's narrative that has changed depending on whether it's talking to regulators in court or to journalists is how it's doing in the so-called console wars whose importance to Xbox clearly differs depending on the audience. In 2020, Xbox told me, meaning this reporter, was strat- the strategy was to reach gamers where they are, whether that's on the subscription service, Game Pass, or on Windows PCs. But in internal documents and testimony, Xbox admitted that it would have liked to sell games exclusively on Xbox consoles. It started to bundle these titles on Windows to grow revenue, according to Spencer. Quote, that's not something Sony does, he said in court. In a panel with reporters earlier this month, Spencer echoed this saying of Xbox's strategy, we're going to focus on allowing player choice, but we know that console is kind of the core to how people think. Xbox is trying to play all sides here and is changing up its tune depending on who's asking. The FTC trial has given us a unique look at what's truly going on, though. According to the internal documents, Microsoft executives saw their growth was slowing down and sought to build out a compelling way to reach mobile gamers using cloud gaming. When the UK antitrust regulator cited cloud Gaming as a reason to block the deal, Microsoft revealed major shortcomings to the technology, issues that Spencer and Gluckstein, I don't know who Gluckstein is, had discussed in internal emails in 2019. The company hoped outwardly that the casual mobile gamers would pick up Project X Cloud, but internally it feared that only hardcore gamers would give the cloud a try, and even they might not care. And even though Microsoft lags behind its console competitors, it's fully intent on spending its way to the top, similar to what it tried with Mixer and its $10 million contracts to lure Twitch streamers. And it continues from there. There's a little bit more in here. Um, yeah, that's what's going on. The Verge has this incredibly long thing about the FTC versus Microsoft battle going on. Uh, This seems to be written by Tom Warren, who is a senior editor covering Microsoft PC gaming, console, and tech. And there's a lot in here, so I'm going to read you just a little bit, and if you're into this, you can go read it from, uh, and you can look it up on The Verge, or you can uh, get it when the show notes come out, and it'll be there too. So here's the thing at the top of this ginormous blog post from The Verge. Microsoft is heading to court on June 22nd to face the Federal Trade Commission in a five-day case that will determine the future of its $68.7 billion proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. The FTC wants a preliminary injunction granted to prevent Microsoft from closing its deal ahead of a separate legal challenge that's due to commence on August 2nd. So, you know, this is going to be, like, this is the first FTC thing with Microsoft, and then there's going to be, like, part two in August, apparently. (laughs) Uh, to continue. The stakes are high. Microsoft has until July 18th to try and close its proposed acquisition. Otherwise, it has to pay $3 billion in breakup fees to Activision Blizzard or renegotiate new terms. The FTC isn't the only regulator trying to block this deal from happening either. The UK's Competition and Markets Authority, CMA, decided to block the deal in April. Microsoft is currently appealing that decision in a case that will commence in late July. If you missed the first day of FTC versus Microsoft, there there's a link here to where you can catch up. So after that, uh, it's this is from today. Microsoft's FTC fight comes down to Call of Duty. And this one was written uh, by uh, also Tom Warren. The final day of FTC versus Microsoft gave us key closing arguments from both parties and a chance to reflect on this giant hearing. Judge Jacqueline Scott Corley took the opportunity to reflect, too. Would she even be sitting here, she mused, if Sony had signed a Call of Duty deal with Microsoft? That's a good point, and it was part of a series of tough questions Judge Corley had for the FTC. The grilling centered on why consumers would be harmed if Microsoft acquired Activision Blizzard, and particularly on how many PlayStation players would switch to Xbox if Activision's key game actually disappeared. The FTC has relied largely on Sony, the market leader in console, to back up its theory of harm to competition if Microsoft were to make Call of Duty exclusive to Xbox or sabotage the PlayStation version it's a theory that has already been rejected by most regulators worldwide including the European Commission and even the Competition and Markets Authority CMA in the UK and then we have one more here It's over, also written by Tom Warren. Judge Corley has wrapped up the closing statements and the hearing is finished. Judge Corley will now look over the submitted arguments, evidence, and testimony, and make her decision in the coming days. This was posted on June 29. The order will be filed under seal, so the public won't find out immediately, but I'm sure the FTC and Microsoft will be keen to let the world know the instant the order is passed down. Normally, I'd say we will be back tomorrow at 8.30 a.m. PT, but not this time. I'll take the advice of someone we overheard in the courtroom moments ago, get some sleep. Thanks for joining and stay tuned to The Verge for Judge Corley's order as soon as we get it. We don't know when that's going to happen, um, but there's more in here if you want to go into like the little details about this whole thing. There's one about, you know, don't use Sharpies because apparently, um, I'll just scroll to that a little bit here. Uh, someone was using Sharpies to redact stuff on in a Sony document that was supposed to be redacted, and yet you could still see what was supposedly redacted Because someone used like a marker that wasn't black. So you could see like pink or green or whatever, you know. (laughs) I don't know what color it was, but people could see it. So that's kind of a mistake. And then PC Gamer has this article. It's actually on MSN.com. And it's titled, Here's Where the Microsoft Activision Deal Stands Around the World. This is from June 21. So the big no includes the United Kingdom... Microsoft and Activision were left to sputter denunciations when the U.K. market regulator handed down its unexpected rejection on April 26, 2023. Both companies have forecast economic doom for the U.K. and to rub salt in a tender political word... Wound publicly remarked on how much easier it is for tech to do business in the EU at the moment. Harsh words aside, Microsoft and Activision immediately promised to appeal to CMA's decision and have enlisted the aid of legal hotshot's David Panic. P-A-N-N-I-C-K-K-C and Daniel Beard-K-C to front their campaign. Experts are skeptical of their chances, though. The CMA has won 67% of appeals brought against it since 2010. Of course, there are rumblings that Microsoft might just go ahead with the deal anyway, presumably cutting off some of its UK business to make it all work in the process. But surely not, right? Microsoft filed its appeal at the end of May. The maybes. The US Federal Trade Commission has been unequivocal in its hostility to the deal for a long time now. Back on December 8, 2022, the FTC announced it would seek to block the acquisition, alleging that the quote, maker of Xbox would gain control of top video game franchises, enabling it to harm competition in high performance gaming consoles and subscription services by denying or degrading rivals access to its popular content, end quote. So, why is this entry in the maybe section? Well, it's not over until an administrative law judge has had their say. The FTC's challenge to the deal has to go through a bunch of legal wrangling before it can be approved or rejected. A hearing on the FTC's case is set to kick off on August 2nd of this year. Even then, the verdict can be appealed to the FTC itself, and then the verdict that on that appeal can itself be appealed to a U.S. federal court. So settle in for the long haul, basically. On top of all that, FTC recently asked a federal district court to block Microsoft and Activision going ahead with the deal anyway, despite the block from the U.K. CMA. After reports began circulating that the two companies might be press on even, might press on even without UK approval, necessitating some kind of divestment from the UK market. A rather bold and spectacular move. The regulator was granted a temporary block while the court waited to hear a full case for a preliminary injunction starting on June 22. Even weirder, Microsoft welcomed the move, eager as it is to get its legal arguments in front of a federal court as soon as possible. Australia is also part of the maybes. No one can accuse Australia of rushing. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission has, quote, suspended, end quote, its timeline for deciding on the Microsoft Activision deal while it consults with regulators overseas. The deal has become the oldest outstanding issue on the regulators' books while it puts it ha- puts its head together with other regulators, or perhaps more accurately, waits while it waits to see what everyone else does before doing that, too. Of course, given that almost every regulator has approved or rejected the acquisition by now, you got to think it won't be long before the accc emerges from its reverie and gets off the fence which side will it come down on we don't know new zealand's another maybe like its australian neighbor the new zealand commerce commission is taking its time reaching a conclusion on the microsoft activision deal since kicking off proceedings in june 2022 the cc has stopped and restarted its administrative clock once and extended its deadline to reach a decision seven times (laughs) so there's that here's the approvals European Union, European regulators thumbed their nose at the UK's then recent rejection of the Microsoft Activision deal when they waved it through in mid-May. Microsoft's spree of signing 10-year contracts with pretty much anyone who asks. Nintendo, NVIDIA, a UK mobile network, some streaming platforms you've never heard of, and even Sony, who said no, seems to have convinced EU regulators that it can be trusted to act as a responsible shepherd for Activision's thick catalog of popular products. Brussels also no doubt quite enjoyed it when Microsoft presented President Brad Smith, publicly said the EU was a much friendlier place to do business than the UK. China, China's state administration for market regulation, probably made a few tech execs nervous in 2022 when it rejected Microsoft and Activision's request to have the acquisition scrutinized according to a simplified procedure. It opted instead to use its normal procedure, thank you very much, or not. The SAMR, that's the regulatory uh, state administration for market regulation in China, waived the deal through in May. A few months after Tencent, the country's tech and gaming Goliath, was reported to have voiced its support for the merger. I guess not everyone in the country is as cross with Activision Blizzard as NetEase is. South Korea, the Korean Fair Trade Commission, approved Microsoft's Activision of act- acquisition of Activision on May 30, 2023, at the conclusion of a process which was remarkably free of dramatic tr- twists and turns. Quote, the combined market share of games developed and distributed by Microsoft and Blizzard is small, said the regulator, and there are a number of popular game developers that competitors can deal with alternatively. So there is no possibility of foreclosure to exclude competing game service companies. Plus, even if Microsoft did try to throw its weight around, quote, the effect of converting competitors, cons- uh, competitors consumers to its service subscribers is minimal due to the low popularity of Blizzard games this coming from South Korea. Saudi Arabia approved of the Microsoft Activision deal and that came lightning fast according to whoever wrote this, so quick in fact that the country's general authority for competition was the first national regulator in the world to reach a decision on the deal. But it makes sense. One of Saudi Arabia's flagship schemes right now is its Vision 2030 plan, a strategy to reduce the country's dependence on its absurdly large oil reserves through investments in things like tech and video games. The country's dreadful human rights record makes that a controversial scheme at best, but it's one that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman continues to pour billions of dollars into. Brazil was the second country in the world to approve the Activision acquisition after Saudi Arabia. The country's Administrative Council for Economic Defense cleared it without restriction on October 5th, 2022. Its reasoning was interesting and fairly brutal for old Sony. The PlayStation maker's arguments against the deal had mostly revolved around the possibility of losing access to Call of Duty, and CADE, which is the administrative console thing, yes, uh, gave them short shrift. After all, it argued COD wasn't on Steam for years, and it still isn't on Switch, and both of those platforms are doing gangbusters. Even harsher, Cade, C-A-D-E, accepted the theory that Microsoft or acquiring Activision could harm Sony. It just didn't care. (laughs) Japan, the Japan Fair Trade Commission approved the Microsoft Activision deal without fuss on March 28, 2023, concluding that, quote, the transaction is unlikely to result in substantially restraining competition in any particular fields of trade, and therefore, quote, the integration falls under the safe harbor criteria for vertical business combinations. Well, there you go. Serbia. The thing about Serbia's approval of the Act division acquisition is that there's barely any info out there, at least in English about it. In fact, news of it only spread after a Reuters report happened to mention the approval offhandedly at the end of an article about Microsoft offering concessions to EU regulators. All we have is a single-page PDF from the country's commission for the protection of competition, and all it says is yep, Serbia has no issue with the deal going ahead. South Africa gave its blessing to the acquisition on April 17, 2023. Kind of. The way the country's system works its competition commission scrutinizes a proposed merger and then makes a recommendation to its competition tribunal which is set to actually make a ruling on june 21 2023 which means they've already made their ruling i think uh chile Chile's National Economic Prosecutor's Office announced its approval for the Activision acquisition on December 29, 2022. It concluded that Microsoft's acquisition of the company wouldn't substantially reduce competition in the country's gaming sector and that Microsoft would be fairly unlikely to yank Call of Duty from other consoles. Ukraine, the Anti Monopoly Committee of Ukraine gave its blessing to the Microsoft Activision deal on April 27, 2023, one day after the UK CMA shocked everyone by coming down against the deal the amcu reflected on the cma's decision in its own announcement microsoft and activision said the regulator uh don't uh, microsoft and activision said uh said the regulator there's like some weird typing in here uh don't really participate in cloud gaming activities in ukraine making the merger's potential impact on the sector something of a moot point a translation of its statement from gl gi biz reads Quote, the reason for the prohibition of concentration in Great Britain are not relevant for assessing its impact on the dynamics of competition in Ukraine. And that's them all right there. So a lot of yeses, some maybes, and a couple of nos. The Verge has an article titled, Microsoft is hiking the price of Xbox Series X and Xbox Game Pass. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but that's what they're doing. Um, and this is written by, who wrote this one? tom warren so here's a little bit about that microsoft is increasing its xbox series x prices in most countries in august apart from the us japan chile brazil and Colombia. the xbox maker is also increasing the monthly prices of its xbox game pass and xbox game pass ultimate subscriptions for the first time next month which will see the base game pass subscription for console move up to ten dollars and 99 cents a month from nine dollars and 99 cents a month Um, There's a quote here from someone from Microsoft. We've held on our prices for consoles for many years and have adjusted the prices to reflect the competitive conditions in each market, said Kerry Perez, head of communications for the Xbox in a statement to The Verge. So here's what the prices are going to be. Xbox Series X console pricing will largely match the price hike Sony announced for the PS5 last year, with the Xbox Series X moving to 479.99 pounds in the UK, 549.99 euros in most European markets. Canada is 649.99 and uh, AUD is 799.99 in Australia starting August 1st. The Xbox Series S pricing will not be adjusted in any markets remaining at 299.99. Xbox Game Pass Ultimate and Game Pass for console pricing will increase starting July 6th. Xbox Game Pass Ultimate will move from 14.99 a month to 16.99 dollars a month. Um, that would be $14.99 euros and $12.99 pounds. The base Xbox Game Pass for console pricing will also move from 9 99 a month to 10 99 a month or $10.99 euro or $8.99 pounds. Microsoft is not changing game, uh, PC Game Pass pricing though. And now we can get into some other cool stuff over here. So, this is from MaxRoll and it is written by FaceFoot. It's titled Diablo 4 Season 1 Start Date Coming Next Week and BlizzCon tickets on sale July 8th. So here's a little bit about that. Diablo 4 Season 1 start date will be announced sometime next week per Rod Ferguson on Twitter. It's expected that the first season will include a lot of new content and further improvements to the game and is expected towards the end of July. As we draw near, don't forget to collect those altars of Lilith and uncover the full map since both transfer fully into the first season. Along with this exciting news, Blizzard has announced more details for BlizzCon, which is being held November 3 and 4 in Anaheim, California, including event info and ticket prices. And then there's more news about this down here, but I have the actual thing. Um, Anyway, there is a patch notes thing um, talking about, uh, let's see, balance changes uh, to different classes and nightmare dungeons and stuff like that. And I'll leave you to read that because, again, everything will be in the show notes for you. Blizzard has posted BlizzCon 2023 tickets on sale July 8 and July 22. Here's a little blurb from them. After four years away, BlizzCon is returning to Anaheim, California on November 3 and 4. We are so excited to get everyone together again, celebrate our communities, and share what we've been working on. This year, the goal is to make BlizzCon feel more experiential than ever before. It will be a -a one-of-a-kind immersive experience, bringing attendees into the universes of Warcraft, Diablo, and Overwatch with massive installations, art, and thematic spaces where friends can connect. Whether you're kicking back in Azeroth, exploring the mysteries of a dark cathedral sanctuary playing alongside the heroes of overwatch or turning in tuning in from home we want you to feel you are entering universes alongside your friends as you celebrate and experience what we're building next and hear from developers all across blizzard about their vision for our games their craft and more this is the first time we are building blizzcon this way and our vision is that building a giant playground for our communities will allow everyone to create memories share stories and celebrate what unites us here's what you you need to know. Okay, this starts talking about ticket prices. Tickets will be sold in two waves through AXS. If you don't have an AXS account already, we recommend making one in advance. The first wave will go on sale Saturday, July 8 at 10 a.m. PDT. The second wave will go on sale Saturday, July 22 at 10 a.m. PDT. Please note that you can purchase a maximum of tickets per transaction. You'll find more information about BlizzCon tickets at BlizzCon.com. Some content at BlizzCon.com is rated for mature audiences, <clears throat> Diablo 4, and is not suitable for children. Children under 7 will be will not be permitted to enter, and anyone under the age of 17 must be accompanied by an adult. So the general admission price is uh, $299, assuming per ticket, and this gives you access to all the halls, early access to BlizzCon store on Thursday, exclusive BlizzCon in-game goodies, and official BlizzCon backpack. There's also a portal pass that is $799. This ticket includes all general admission items plus exclusive portal pass lounge, which has private viewing lounge, private concessions, gameplay experiences, concierge support, Blizzard employee meet and greets and more, a separate registration line, a separate security line, early convention entry on Friday and Saturday lounge only if you can't make it to the show in person BlizzCon 2023 will be live streamed free of charge the virtual ticket will be back as an optional purchase featuring in-game goodies early access to exclusive BlizzCon merch and more details to come if you are a member of the press or content creator residing in North America looking to attend the event keep an eye out for their press portal which they'll probably tell you more about there's also going to be an opening ceremony seating random random draw system panels and community night which all together sounds like a whole lot but this is what they wrote while the opening ceremony will be available to watch on screens in every hall the ceremony itself will take place in its entirety in the blizzcon arena due to limited seating a random draw system will be used to distribute tickets in advance for a seat to view the opening ceremony in the arena all ticket holders are opted in as default additional details to come all panels as well as community night will also take place in the BlizzCon arena and seating will be available on a first-come, first-served basis. Just like the opening ceremony, all panels and community night will be simulcast around BlizzCon as well as live-streamed for free to our virtual attendees. We're bringing all on-stage stage activities to the BlizzCon arena as we strive to bring a -a one-of-a-kind immersive experience throughout the venue. This gives us an opportunity to enhance the experiential aspect of the show for in person attendees and allows us to bring a comprehensive virtual experience for those who choose to tune in from home. There's also a community contest. They are going to, um, these are the things that they're looking for. It's, um, you know, where you make your own cosplay or art or a short film. And there's descriptions in here of what they're looking for with that. And then there is a charity auction as well that is going to benefit Direct Relief, a humanitarian aid organization active in more than 80 countries. The Overwatch World Cup will be uh, crowned, the the winner will be crowned this year in front of a live audience, probably in that uh, arena, I would guess. There is a code of conduct and a zero-tolerance policy, so here's what that involves. Code of Conduct. We want everyone at BlizzCon to feel like they're part of one big Blizzard community. We ask that everyone at the show be respectful and courteous to their fellow attendees. If you witness or experience any activity that puts someone's safety or enjoyment of the show at risk, inform a staff member, security guard, or police officer. We have escalation procedures in place to handle these kinds of situations, and we will take the appropriate action from there. In order to ensure the event provides a safe, enjoyable, and welcoming environment for everyone, Blizzard reserves the right to remove from BlizzCon any person whose conduct is deemed to be disorderly, unbecoming, or who uses vulgar or abusive language or in any way deemed non-compliant with our rules and regulations. The zero-tolerance policy says this. Please note that BlizzCon show management has a zero-tolerance policy for harassment of any kind. Harassment will not be tolerated at BlizzCon. Anyone found to have engaged in harassing or threatening behavior will face appropriate consequences as determined by BlizzCon show management, including but not limited to having their ticket revoked and issued a permanent ban to the show." On-site security and police may be notified in accordance with all California state laws and governing procedures. If you feel any concerns about your safety prior to the show, you can email them. There's an email on this thing. And then we have accessibility. We are committed to providing an outstanding experience for all attendees at BlizzCon. We strive for access to all activities to the fullest extent possible based on an awareness of attendees' needs and appropriate planning. This includes accommodations for aids slash personal assistance, comma, American Sign Language and or open captioning of everything happening in the BlizzCon arena, service animal accommodations, personal consideration rooms, and priority seating. We ask that all accessibility requests be made by September 1st, 2023, so that we can best meet individual needs, and by contacting them at uh, there's a, a link in here, on-site requests will be accommodated for the uh, to the best of our ability, however available resources at that time may be limited. For additional information about available services linked visit blizzcon.com and that's where we're at with that i did not go my uh sean and i did not go to the last blizzcon that was in person we did do blizzcon line leviathan and i were talking about the diablo stuff you know at the time through um uh, through something i can't remember off the top of my head right now and they think they've changed their name since then but this kind of thing um now for me personally and i've said this before i am immune compromised very very much and I have a ton of food allergies and many other allergies and I don't think I'm going to feel safe inside an arena packed with people or even inside the event packed with people because it's just too big of a risk for me Because I know people aren't going to wear masks. I know we're all going to be crowded together. I know we're going to be touching computers and things, probably, that, you know, maybe haven't been washed down exactly. I know that when Diablo Immortal came out, I was there for that one, and I, you know, said that I can't touch it. It's a screen. I'm immune-compromised, and people working in that area, like, cleaned off uh, a screen for me so I would be safe. But that's not going to save me from everything in the con if things are airborne, you know? Like... Remember Concrud? <laughs> Those of you that have been to any kind of conference, really, but BlizzCon, I mean, Concrud is a thing, even if you're not immune compromised. So, for me personally, I'm not going to go into BlizzCon. I'm not going to order tickets. I'm hoping I can find my friends in the bars nearby because that worked pretty well one year. So, um, I think I might try that instead and just feel safer physically because the last thing I want to have happen is to go to this show and get sick. And if I get sick, I'm going to get sick hard. And it's going to take a long time for me to get better. And I don't want to put my body through that. But I'll probably be in the area somewhere. And, um, you know, y'all can tell me how it went at BlizzCon, I guess, you know? And I'm hoping to, like, hang out with the Diablo community because I think that's the group I have the most in common with. So. We'll just see how it goes. Um, if you're listening to this and you're one of the Diablo people that I've met before in BlizzCon or I talk to online, um, you know, I'll be in the bars looking for y'all and at least get to say hi. That's kind of my plan. We've also got some Tracker posts for Diablo 4. Some of them are lengthy and some of them are not. There is, uh, these seem to all be posted by PezRadar. So I'll just give you the recent ones. Game crashing after June 27 update. Says, we have a client patch live on PC now. We will continue monitoring over the long weekend. Now, I don't play on a PC because I have a Mac and I have an Xbox, and that's where I'm playing it on. It's an Xbox S, and I have had the game crash on me a few times where I couldn't get out of the game at all. It was just sort of doing a like I'd open a portal to go to a different town from whatever wilderness I was in, and it just kept making the portal noise and nothing happened. So I'm hoping they fix that problem. There's another one, uh, Game Crashing, that's the one I just, there's an update to the Game Crashing thing. And then on June 30, they wrote uh, Hot Fix June 30, 2023, 1.0.3 bug fixes, fixed an issue where the epic adventure achievement wouldn't properly unlock, various stability improvements, another one from the same date, Uh, Bug Fixes fixed an issue where the epic adventure achievement wouldn't properly unlock. This is in there twice for some reason. I'm not sure why. Yeah, and after that, it just gets, um, you know, it's it's got something about the Diablo developer update livestream, which I'll take a look at in a bit. And it's that sort of thing, you know? There's also an actual page called Diablo 4 Patch Notes. This one seems to have been updated on June 30, 2023. So what did they do on June 30, 2023? Addressed multiple instances where the Diablo 4 client would crash in-game. And then there's all these bug fixes from the 27. It's a lot, a lot of bug fixes in this one. It's really long. It's got so many things in here, but I'll read you a little bit of it. The first part says dungeons, events, and other activities. Fixed an issue where players couldn't engage with the dead man's dredge dungeon boss. Fixed an issue where certain whispers couldn't be completed. Fixed an issue where the those who call the storm event wouldn't register as completed. That's a thing. Fixed an issue where the those who call storm event would place a permanent debuff on the player that would gradually drain health. (laughs) Oh no! Uh, fixed an issue where enemies could spawn behind the sealed door in the cultist refuge dungeon blocking dungeon progression so if they spawn behind it you can't get to them fixed an issue where characters could be damaged and killed during the stronghold completion cutscene not the valiant triumph we planned Uh, killed an issue where the level 100 pinnacle boss would appear again with no health bar if killed during a specific phase fixed an issue where progression could be blocked in the fallen temple capstone dungeon and fixed an issue that resulted in a crash or freeze if players entered the untamed thicket dungeon during the Fangs of Corruption quest there's some gameplay fixes a lot of those in there too I'll leave you to read it if you're interested if you know you had something weird happen in your game that didn't seem to be like that's you know you you run into something that's like that's probably not how this is supposed to work you can read through these and see if they fixed any of the ones that you happen to run into There's an article here from PC Gamer written by Dave James with contributions from Katie Wickens. It was published about eight days ago. It is titled, The Diablo 4 team confirms direct storage isn't working in the game, quote, but we are planning on enabling it in the future. So here's a little bit about that. Diablo 4 devs have confirmed that while there are direct storage files in the game already, it doesn't take advantage of the game-changing SSD tech yet. Our intrepid Katie has been told specifically that it is being planned for the future. Quote, "...MS Direct Storage is currently not enabled, the Diablo team says, but we are planning on enabling it in the future." End quote. It was reported back in March, around the time of the beta, that files for Direct Storage along with DLSS had been uncovered in the game files installed on people's machines. Since then, we've heard nothing about its implementation, leaving Forspoken with the honor of being the only actually released game that uses Microsoft's SSD-utilizing technology, and that's about all Forspoken has." direct storage is all about having games actually utilizing the power and performance of solid-state drives particularly those running on the high bandwidth nvme protocol previously with lots of existing system and console specifically it's still using hard drives game developers still had to cater to the slowest common denominator but with the Xbox series xs and PlayStation 5 all shipping with nvme SSDs as standard now and their game and their use in gaming pcs almost as you it's about time we started being able to take more advantage of the technology and there's more wowhead has an article posted six days ago called more secret cow level details unveiled it has a close-up of a portion of the map that has been outlined and if you look closely yeah it kind of does look like a cow's head pointing you know one direction there and it's got uh, a little bubble that says moo in the diablo like font i guess i would call it here we go. The search for the secret cow level in Diablo 4 continues. As reported in our first secret cow level update, the community is hard at work to find anything that could even remotely hint at Diablo 4's iteration of the Moo Moo farm. Just recently, the Discord detectives of D4 not finding a cow level have found a cellar in Skoskland in the game files, according to ranking members of the server, the Forlorn hovel cellar was shown on multiple diablo 4 maps during the beta but was never accessible however when players visit the cellars supposed entrance location they will notice two very telling things Highland Wilds, the part of Scosglen map where the Forlorn Hovel cellar is supposed to be, looks much like a cow's head, and not only that, the entrance, as shown by multiple map tools during beta, sits right at the cow's muzzle like it is telling players where to go. Now, what does the entrance actually look like? Well, take your horse for a ride and you'll be one of the countless abandoned camps of Diablo You'll find one of the countless abandoned camps of Diablo 4 Sanctuary, but wait, are those cows right? where the seller's entrance is supposed to be. The cow plot thickens, and since our community knows about the secret seller's entrance location, all that's missing is a way to access it. Goes on from there, and there's some stuff you can get from it, apparently, and the cow level, y'all, cow level. <laughs> IGN had an article titled, or has an article titled, Diablo 4 fans once again call for offline mode after DDoS attack renders game unplayable for hours, Uh, from IGN and they've titled this one in the bottom Stunlocked this is written by Wesley Yin Poole from uh, the 26th of this month Blizzard spent much of Sunday battling a distributed denial-of-service DDoS attack that rendered Diablo 4 unplayable for hours. Players began to report issues, signing into the always-online action role-playing game as well as other Battle.net games on Saturday night, and login problems persisted into Sunday morning. Blizzard's customer support Twitter account revealed the source of the problem, a DDoS attack. It was actively working to mitigate that part's in quotes. The issue was so bad, a warning message was added to Battle.net itself. It wasn't until Sunday evening the same Twitter account declared the DDOS attack over, although it did not specify whether Blizzard mitigated the attack, the people behind the attack simply stopped their action, or a combination of both. As you'd expect, fans expressed their frustration across social media and in online forums. Quote, over 12 hours for me, wrote Redditor Lethal Bacon. Quote, was hoping to play a few hours on a Saturday night after working approximately 10 hours. Nope, no worries. It'll be up Sunday morning. Nope, shit happens, but it's frustrating. While DDoS attacks like this one can strike any developer and any video game at any time, it's a stark reminder of Blizzard's controversial decision to make Diablo 4 an always-online game and has sparked renewed calls for the addition of an offline mode. Diablo 4 has been rendered unplayable due to login issues multiple times since its launch earlier in June, with disconnections and other problems causing the tragic death of hardcore characters as they approach or hit the level cap of 100. There's another quote in here... Uh, Diablo 4 features light MMO elements that enable player-versus-player combat, shared social spaces, and party-based dungeon crawling. Blizzard has said it is a big fan of these elements and encourages occasional unplanned interactions between players. And then it kind of goes on from there. Uh, Earlier in June, the first Diablo 4 player to hit level 100 in hardcore mode was left speechless after his character was lost forever following a disconnect. Then last week, a Diablo 4 player flew into a rage after his 172-hour level 91 hardcore character died during a loading screen. And then we have this article from PC Gamer that just cracks me up to no end. It is titled, My New Necromancer Gloves Turn Diablo 4 Into a Hell, Governed by Sprinting Suicidal Skeletons, written by Sean Martin. Says, I'm pretty sure this can't be optimal. So, here we are. Unique items have gotten a bit of a bad rap since Diablo 4 came out, and I can kind of understand why, says the writer. It's annoying to pick up a piece of long-awaited gear only to discover that it doesn't fit your build. Even worse, it might be just about good enough to justify the massive cost of respecking everything to fit it in. While the unique items that can be equipped by all classes are mostly useful, my necro is wearing a thorny razor plate right now. The class-specific uniques are definitely guilty of flipping the table. They often feel experimental in a game where gear costs too much to justify messing around. But here's the thing: I think they're great. I love picking up a piece of gear that's like, hey, you now had that ability you're crutching on you know that ability you're crutching on? Now it does something completely different and potentially useless. Go nuts. It often feels like you're being posed a challenge in making it work. You might have seen the Barb's Fist of Rage that Tyler posted about the other week, but the Necromancer has some preposterous unique items too. The Bloodless Scream Scythe makes all Darkness skills apply Chill, which really threw a wrench in my Shadow Necro build. My personal favorite though is Howl from Below. Imagine taking a reliable ability like Corpse Explosion and transforming it into pure anarchy. Instead of exploding a body, these gothic gloves make it so that the corpse spawns a sprinting skeleton who beelines in a random direction and finds an unwilling enemy to de- unwitting enemy to detonate, with the speed at which you cast Corpse Explosion. This leads to an endless procession of suicidal skeletons born running in random directions only to explode a moment later. You'd almost feel bad if it wasn't for the enemies they're taking with them. I highly recommend you take a look at this article because there is this little, I guess it's a gif with the necromancer, you know, spawning these skeletons that go zooming around everywhere and everything's blowing up around them. And it's just hilarious. So take a look at that if you have a moment. Wowhead has an article titled, Blizzard-Diablo 4 Crash Issue, Being Investigated, Posted a Day Ago by Jen uh, Artros. And here we have, uh, I don't know what this is, it looks like uh, the Drowned, I think, coming for you in this graphic here. Um, Since the latest Diablo 4 patch, many players have been experiencing seemingly random crashing issues with no visible reasons or error messages causing the crash. Players have been left perplexed, but Blizzard is on the case. Someone named Uniques asks PezRadar, Hi Adam, is the team aware of the crashes on Diablo 4 for PC happening to loads of people since the most recent patch? Many reports on the forums. Adam Fletcher, who is PezRadar, says yes, team's investigating. And here is the blue note for that one. Um, hi all, reports and the issue and the issue was brought up with the team since the 1.0.3 patch was released. They are investigating on their side. We'll have updates when available. So that's a thing. This one is from Icy Veins, who I stopped using a while back for reasons, and now I'm like, fuck it, it's fine. So I'm just gonna add this in. Um, Treasure Goblin kills level 85 hardcore character. Written by Starum, S-T-A-R-Y-M. Um, so here's. description we've seen them run as soon as you engage them we've seen them drop two uniques at the same time but this this is something new i suppose it was only a matter of time before the treasure carrying ones took their sweet sweet revenge a high level hardcore player had a very rude awakening recently after dropping their guard around the little ones the goblin didn't have any assistance was the only thing in the room and yet it still got the kill kill was running a tier 37 nightmare dungeon and it really showcases just how easy it is to lose a character on hardcore there is a twitch video embedded in this article which you might want to take a look at as well it's not the full video um but i think you can link to it if you want to see it and again twitch kind of you know hides things sometimes and it's hard to go find it later but he did run his necromancer through this dungeon and it got a treasure goblin it looked at first to me from when I watched this little clip here that he'd killed the treasure goblin but then something shot out and just killed his character just right after uh, death pulse which is probably what that was does say that the pulse a monster leaves after death is quote deadly but this is on a whole new level the goblin was level 91 so however so perhaps that isn't isn't that surprising but it sure was unexpected kalthas's reaction is very much on point as that is definitely the weirdest way i've seen someone losing their character if you want to see the rest of the death reaction there's a link and you can go ahead and see that if you choose to And finally, we have from Blizzard, watch the upcoming Diablo developer update live stream. This was posted today on June 30th. And I'll just read you this little few paragraphs that they have about it. Multiple planes of hell will converge on our upcoming Diablo developer update live stream on July 6th at 11 a.m. PDT. We'll kick off this live stream with a deep dive provided by senior narrative designer Ryan Quinn and lead user experience designer Chris Liao, if I'm pronouncing that right, I hope I did, on the monstrous new class coming to Diablo Immortal in mid-July. Then our host associate director of communication Adam Fletcher will introduce associate game director Joseph Preporia and lead game producer Timothy Ismay, who will announce the first season of Diablo 4 along with incoming quality of life updates. Players will also have the opportunity to ask our developers questions during the live Q&A session at the end of the live stream. Following the conclusion of this hell-packed live stream, we'll publish another article containing a video on demand so you can catch all the invitingly dark details at your own pace. We'll also publish two new articles which extrapolate on the topics introduced during both the Diablo Immortal and Diablo 4 segments of the live stream. I'm glad they're doing that because I don't always catch everything that's on social media right when it's live. So I've seen the Diablo team or teams, whichever, maybe both do this, putting things on YouTube and then I can find it there and it'll just be there whenever I'm ready to look at it. So that's something to consider. If you miss this thing, you'll probably be able to pick it up there. You might not be able to send in your questions, but at least you'll have the information at hand. And that's gonna be the end of this episode. You have been listening to episode 417 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in game. Our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone, are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone Website. Thank you for listening.